also got to know your heart. You got to know your soul. You got to know who you are and what matters to you, what you need, what really matters to you. Um, and if you create from your heart, which is the center of love, right? And you create in alignment with your soul's path, you're only going to create good. I mean, that's, you know, it's like, it's like, that's, that, that's the way to go. You're listening to Find the Good News, Episode 103, The Phoenix and the Dragon, a Beacon Series conversation featuring Christine Arilo, author of Overwhelmed and Over It, Embrace Your Power to Stay Centered and Sustained in a Chaotic World by New World Library. Find the Good News is produced by Parker Brand Creative Services, a branding agency that thinks sideways, pushes forward, and gets your brand up. See what else we do at Parker Brand Up. Welcome to the first episode of 2021. I'm not sure that I could have handpicked a much more relevant guest to kick off the new year than author and feminine leadership advisor, Christine Arilo. Christine agreed to visit with me on Find the Good News to discuss her new book, Overwhelmed and Over It, Embrace Your Power to Stay Centered and Sustained in a Chaotic World. The new book is directly pointed at women who are facing the merry-go-round of pressures that often lead to system burnout. What I found in reading this new work, and in my dynamic visit with Christine, was that the stresses of keeping all the floats balanced out, especially in the wildly chaotic times we've seen through 2020, has an equally corrosive effect on men as well. Christine helped me realize some old self-sacrificing habits I've fallen into and perpetuated throughout my adult life. By labeling these habits as compassion, I have basically given myself permission to self-destruct. Christine's mission is to help beings develop healthier patterns that can lead through the sticky chaos that dominates us and on to richer, fuller lives. Now, it's time to lay down the endless array of tasks, responsibilities, sacrificing, and outdated approaches you may be using to get through your days. Then tune your attention to this good news beacon and press play on a little good news. Wake up this morning, dreaming up the story I can hear. The way it's going, cause you're laughing in your sleep. On the path to your deliverance. In a holy ball of light Old news, bad news, fake news Sometimes you want to shut those signals down and seek a better source With my Find the Good News Beacon series I tune into good people doing good works wherever I can find them I scan across the full spectrum of life, seeking out human beings that have turned their dials towards helping others, aligning their time, resources, and talents with goodness, justice, mercy, and love. In each episode, I sync up with the hearts and minds of my extraordinary guests. We have dynamic conversations that invigorate the mind long after our transmission has ended. I discover the critical life experiences that shape them, the perspectives that drive them, and the fundamental beliefs that have anchored them to a path of goodness. There's a lot of background noise in the world. My name is Oren Parker, and I'm cutting through the static to find the good. We've always just kind of meandered into the conversation because I, I don't consider myself an interviewer. I just like to visit with people. 
And Great. That's n- my style, so I love it. I'll well, I'll let you I'll let you lead, and we'll see where we go. How does that sound? No, that sounds great. I, I have some questions that should guide us along, hopefully. But I, I I'd say okay. well, let's just go wherever the the conversation takes us. Right now, we're talking about your new book. That's what I've been uh, listening to, and I gotta say, I was actually talking about this with about this with my wife. I said, you know, it's interesting when you read a book. You take on the task to read a book, uh, to have a conversation, as in the book is geared towards a female audience, you know, and so I'm a man who's reading a book about female empowerment, which there's nothing wrong with that necessarily, but I had a, I did find that I had to do a few little mental jumping jacks every once in a while because what I, what I really found in the book was that I related to so much of it. So a lot of the teachings, and the advice that you were giving, I was going, yeah, I can totally dig this because I'm going through that, too. I've been through that, too, as a as a man. And it, so it got me thinking, you know, I went off on all kinds of uh, little rabbit holes of thinking. I thought, you know, is there this archetypal male that I just don't uh, <laughs> line up with because I relate to so much of what you put out in your book i mean you know Mm -hmm. it was just one thought i had and i mean i I, as i was would walk and i mean i kind of let my mind go down that path i thought you know yeah because in one of my last conversations we were just talking about this i said you know when i was a kid i found myself being more attracted to the things that my mother was doing as opposed to what my father was doing you know i i enjoyed and and felt like I was paying more attention to the things that she was tasked to in the household versus things my father was tasked to, Mm -hmm. Um, which was an interesting thing. And it made me realize why maybe even in like my first marriage, there might've been some issues because I wasn't uh, one of the roles. I was very unwilling to just, I resisted it. I'll say that was to just be the traditional male figure in the home that just was not who i was it just wasn't what some of the dream i ever had it wasn't who i ever wanted to be but i never really had voiced it out loud so there was a sort of built-in resistance mm. you know what mm-hmm. i mean and so my first wife wanted to be a the traditional roles you know and i just was like look i want to be a nurturer too i want to be uh there's a lot of things i want to do that are a part of my nature you know, I'm not I'm not OK to just be a breadwinner and alone. Does that make sense? You know, so when I was reading your book, totally. I was like kind of falling into some of that and going, man, I I. Uh, I have some, I guess, stronger female qualities than I really have ever fully wrapped my arms around as I was reading your book. That's all. I don't know how else to say it, you know. Yeah, well, it's actually. I mean, it's. I mean, it's. It's. It's a. It's as a positive. Uh, That's how I see it. Sure. Well, it is because we've all heard. Most of us have heard of yin and yang, right? Yeah, we know about that from the from the Taoist Chinese tradition, which is basically the yin is the feminine and the yang is the masculine, and you need both in order to be able to be whole. And even in the yin and yang, when you see the symbol, right? There's a little bit of masculine and the feminine, and vice versa. In psychology, they talk about, in depth psychology, they talk about the anima and the animus. So it's the feminine and the masculine again. And so this notion of like, it's not about man, woman, 
it literally is about masculine, feminine power energy that is, they're just different. And in our culture today, we, we overvalue what I would call more of the distorted masculine. It's not even the masculine. Oftentimes what we call masculine is, is distorted. Oh, that's good. Yeah. And, distorted masculine. I like that. Yeah. And you know, all you do is turn on the television and tune into Beverly, you know, Hills housewives and you'll see the distorted feminine, you know, all, all day long. And so this book overwhelmed and over it, it's a, it is actually a book. I love that you picked up on this of feminine wisdom. And it also includes yogic wisdom and, and earth wisdom, indigenous wisdom. Those two specific wisdom traditions are very balanced in their approach, yogic science and indigenous wisdom. They're very balanced in their masculine and feminine. And then it brings in my feminine wisdom training and marries it with what my background, traditional background is, is I'm a trained MBA marketer, business person who grew up in the middle of Chicago on the South side. So I didn't know anything about feminine, anything. And I, and my, it's interesting that what you, what you talk about in your dynamic with your relationship, I um, have learned more about the feminine from my partner, Noah, Mm. who is definitely more of the nurturer in our, um, in our relationship and in his own being. And I was born like this achiever, driver, striver, you know, go out and, and get it. Kind yeah. of person. And, and so I've had to learn in my own, my own, um, experience, I've had to seek out the feminine because I was burning myself out. Mm. Well, in my, as an entrepreneur, I was burning myself out as a, when I was in corporate and I was following that path, I was trying to, to live and play a game that actually wasn't a game that I even really wanted to play because yeah. it's so distorted. And so that's, that, that brought me to seeking out the feminine and I didn't even know what it was. And now fast forward, you know, 15, 20 years or something. And that's how this book came to be and how we came to be here having this conversation. So I, I love that you picked up on that or in that, like, that's, that is exactly what we're going through as a culture. And so we all have to go through it as our, as ourselves. Yeah. As well. I like what you're saying right there too. I mean, it's really, and it's, it's a, such a bigger idea too. this, this movement and balancing of energies, you know, it's, it's interesting too, that you brought up the yin and the yang uh, and Taoism because Years ago, my son had bought my wife and I at a thrift store this piece of red silk. And um, it was beautiful. It was embroidered. It was red and gold and had these beautiful images in it. And we hung it on our bedroom door. And a few, a couple of years ago, maybe it was last year, I had brought, bought my wife a medallion of the dragon and the phoenix dancing together, you know, mm -hmm. from the male and the female. And on the back of that medallion was a symbol. And I happened to look at it and I said, that's the same symbol that's on that silk that's hanging on our door. And mm. uh, I looked at the silk and, and I never had really dove into all the details, but it had this beautiful phoenix and dragon on it. And, it had, and they were dancing around that symbol. And it did kind of generate a conversation with my wife about that. You know, what our relationship now this is my second marriage but what that this relationship is so much more balanced in that regard the the mm -hmm. the traditional roles just don't uh exist you know 
It's not well, heavy. You're, you're, yeah, you're ha- well, you're in what what my my partner Noah and I call, or we don't call it, but it's called a, an evolutionary couple, where we're we're redefining the power dynamics in our through through relationship is one of the ways that we bring. I, I kind of think of it more as a harmony between versus a balance. So the word it's interesting. It's, I've done a lot of like I'm a big word etymology. Love <laughs> a little bit of a nutcase around it, but I mean, because but there's there's so like words have meaning, and we often don't know what the words mean that we use, and so if you don't use, we're not using the right language, it's hard to actually progress and create the reality that we desire, and so it's interesting. You hear a lot about work life balance, right? That's been around since really the '80s is when it came into. Vogue and you know obviously that's not working for <laughs> for lots of different reasons and a you can't split your life into two things work and life and otherwise it's like living in a tug of war it's either like I'm working or I'm in life and you think about that so then if you're working in work life balance all of a sudden everything but work has to fit into life yeah. Yeah. and that just by just like one little part of that is like so if you're a parent out there where does that go? Does that just get put into life? Well, no, because any parent, and I actually am not a parent, so I think it's interesting how I how I, I feel called to speak to this, is that parenting is work. Mm, oh, yeah, it absolutely. Is absolutely yeah. work, and it's part of, I always say it's part of someone who chooses to be a parent, it's part of it's your sacred work in this world. And and we don't we don't acknowledge that as a culture. And so when you and so just thinking about like what that does and kind of some of what's happening in the world right now and how many people are feeling really overwhelmed if they're parents because now you are now having to school your children as well as you know work and do all of this one of the things i uncovered in my research around this overwhelm and burnout and exhaustion self-sacrifice craziness is that we've just been piling more on forever and there's actually no more room to pile more on. And I think what we're getting to, I love this, this, I haven't had this conversation yet, um, is that if you look at overwhelm and the society that we're in, the distorted feminine is self-sacrifice. That's what's at the root of what's causing, whether it's overwhelm you're feeling or despair or frustration or anxiety, like that part that's the distorted feminine is the self-sacrificer, the martyr. I have to give, give, and give, and give, and give until there's nothing left of me because that's what a good, the feminine like does. Usually it's a woman, but in my case, it's my husband, Noah. It's in it, you know, that the person who more embodies the feminine, he will give and give and give to everything outside himself and not even realize he's doing it Mm -hmm. until he gets resentful. Sure. Oh, yeah. Right. I've seen that cycle. Yeah. And then on the other side, the distortion of how this shows up and leads to overwhelm and, and really unhappiness in relationship, the masculine is I have to, you know, drive and strive and grind and push and, and, and be the one that goes out and is the provider or the, you know, the, if you want to use caveman terms, the killer of the meat, you know, and what happens, and I work with a lot of women who are the quote unquote breadwinner, whatever that means. I still have to research that, whatever that means. And then they get resentful because they want to be able to be a mother, but they don't, there's no space to be a mother because they feel like they have to make the money. And it's all completely, I mean, there's so many ways we can take this, but it's important to see that, that those are both distortions. And in relationship, we can fall into that if we're not consciously 
aware of it. This is interesting because as I'm listening to you, it made me think of something else that I have I have meditated on personally, and I didn't connect it to your book until just now. And maybe it's just the way we're talking about this, but you know, I'm really visualizing that within myself, and I have thought this many times that I have. There's a man and a woman. And I don't mean that literally. I mean like a male and a female. I'll say it that way. That Those energies. And they're really in a, almost like a, they've been for large portions of my life in combat with each other. Because, I, because I'm in this, and I'm just going to talk in the terms that I use with myself, okay? Because I am living this life in this male form that I was born in. This is what I'm riding around in. The world has treated me as such. Okay, I mean, I look like a man, I sound like a man, I um, have been treated like a man, and so the world expects those things from me, and I, because it's so, uh, it's what you're used to, it's, it's the way that you almost instinctually plug into the different systems that exist out, out there. And because those systems exist, and I'm really talking about just survival here, to get food, water, shelter, resources... Yeah you end up doing the things that men do. But then there's the other energy inside of me that says, but you, you have this other portion of you that wants to nurture, to hold, to be at peace, to be gentle and fluid and pliable, uh, to care, be more caring, to be more intentional. And that is just as strong, but because the world treats me like a man only, there is this combat between those uh-huh. two because I end up spending, and this is sort of gets it to the heart of your book, I feel like, but the burnout thing. I spend so much of my time, well, probably not as much time as most men do, actually, but I spend a, 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 a disproportionate amount for me and my energies in that realm that the other side is like a hungry ghost. Uh-huh. It's saying, but I want more now. And as I get older... Uh, I am less and less inclined to plug into those systems. I mean, I, I've i always, and it's all weird because it's almost like it's created a aversion and almost a resentment, not to people, but well, sometimes people, people and people who represent or are those systems. Mm-hmm. And I can see them like raising flags in front of me. Like I've got a situation right now with someone that I'm in a professional relationship with and I'm seeing it. And I'm starting to use a new language about it. You know, I I was just sitting with my wife having this conversation a couple of days ago. I said, this person is perfectly fine out in this world in all those systems. But I'm not so inclined to be plugged in. And their energy is all about that. I am not all. I am partly about it. I'll do it but not fully like they want me to. And I can feel like the energy suck. And my my nurturer side is saying, pull back, pull back. You need to protect this part of yourself. Don't plug into that. But it's almost like it's an all or nothing thing because I know where mm-hmm. this goes. I know if I plug into that person and do this project and then I'm going to be plugging into that system it's like I am literally consciously choosing to plug into poison. It's crazy, but that's what it feels like to me. And it reminds me of things you were talking about in your book. I mean, you got into that systems and 
all of that stuff. So maybe we can just jump in from there. I know that's a lot that I just threw at you, but yeah, well, no, and you have to, you know, Warren, and this is this is actually the beginning of the book. Um, there's two ways we can take it. I'll put it on the table. You tell me which way you want to go. In the beginning of the book, there's two parts. So one of the things I when this struck me about ten years ago, where I was like, I don't really understand. Like, how could we, you know, be dealing with, with stress and overwhelm and all of this? We haven't figured it out. And I'm like, I'm going to get to the root of this. I'm going to get to the root because I don't want to just band aid this thing. And what we're talking about, like, you just we just went right to one of the cores, which I just really appreciate about you and everyone that's listening, because it says a lot about the the environment that you've created here, to be able to go, you know, as I have to say, go <laughs> go deep, fast, and get to it. And, you know, versus just running around, changing the furniture around in a house that's completely falling apart. And that's what we're experiencing right now. Our society is falling apart because it has to, because it at the core, and this is one of the core roots underneath the overwhelm and the, and the thing I just want to back up to and say with about burnout there are at least eight different kinds of burnout that I identified in my research. Physical is the last one. So yogic science teaches us that the the physical body is the last place burnout shows up. So other kinds of burnout, passion burnout. This is the one I still get. I very rarely get physical burnout because I've shifted my life so much, but I still get a lot done. I just get done what matters. And I do, you know, I work in my, I work in divine flow mostly versus my flow, but there's other passion burnout is where you're giving and even giving to things that you really care about, but you're actually not receiving enough yourself. You're not being nurtured. You're not being nourished. And that is something I have to always be really aware of. There's compassion burnout where you're just like, literally you have no, you just can't hold any more space for anyone. <laughs> you know, be caring and love because you've just overgiven way too much. There's mental burnout where your mind is fried, you know, mostly because you've been working too much and you've been on the computer too much and you're processing too much. And like literally your synapses are not working. And what I'm trying to do is help people see the systemic reasons of why they can't change these patterns that are self-sacrificing and self-sabotaging. No matter how much they try, they keep being in these unsustainable relationships, whether it's with a person or it's with work, and, and see it both in the system, but also see it within ourselves. Because we have it overwhelmed and over it identified 12 imprints that are like programs that run within us, not beliefs, but imprints. So the difference is that an imprint is mental, but it's also emotional. It's in our heart. It's, it is cellular. It's in our physical remembering of things. It's energetic. And so these imprints that we run on, um, really cause us to not pay attention to our own inner knowing and our own inner wisdom. Like you're talking about with this part, you're like, if I say yes to this relationship and this working thing, even if it might seem like, you know, there might be money there, there might be whatever there, you're like, it feels like plugging into poison. That is what I call your crazy wisdom talking, which is also known as, which is, which is, which is, which is visceral, right? So we can, we go down that way. So I'll give you two doors. We go down that way. And, or there's this other part, the other part we could go down is that you really have to be tuned in to that crazy wisdom to be able to make choices that may not look logical and rational to the conventional overculture and mainstream world, but that keep you in alignment with yourself. Yeah. Yeah, all so that. Okay, so I'm, yeah, that's that's you too. Want to taste that. Yeah, I kind of I I I love that you brought up crazy wisdom because I had you know I have I usually only make four or five little 
paths to take with somebody, and that was one of them. I'm actually reading, and I, I love the alignment in this. I'm actually reading a book right now completely disconnected from yours in a total other realm and i was reading it right before i stopped to read your book and they had in the book it came up crazy wisdom in that book and they were so unrelated related but at the same time i thought it was really cool how there was that intersection and i said okay i want to pay attention to this part so i would love to go that direction because i was another thing i was discussing with my wife i said you know this crazy wisdom uh that's the stuff that i really like because it's not in a container you know it's uh it's like intuition to some degree, but it also goes against the norms. I mean, that was something you just said, you know, these sort of over systems. Uh, I, I'm, I love that about your book, I guess. I love that about what you're trying to do, because I, I think about that a lot. I mean, I meditated on it a whole lot because you're right. It's like... And you talked about this in your book, but and I hope people will read it that are listening to my podcast and get into that. But it was it was interesting because I thought, you know, you're right. There's so many people out there, and I've been one of those people where you say, "Yeah, I get it. I want to do X, Y, Z. I want this kind of life." But the systems that I'm plugged into to do that, I mean, realistically, rubber meets the road. I would have to make some extreme major life choices like i mean like turn the wheel and and leave rubber on the road to do mm -hmm. that and mm -hmm. there's a lot of people out there who are going but can i do that can i make these changes and there's fear involved you know there's uh fear of how's it affecting everybody in your in your vehicle with you when you make that turn you know mm -hmm. is everybody else buckled up <laughs> you know all of that that goes along when you have kids and you know, other people you're caring for. Another thing that you talked about there that I just loved, and it's something that I've had to learn, especially in the last couple of years. I think the term that I had been using and had picked up from another book was idiot compassion. And it was just that kind of compassion. I want to be compassionate, but I'm having to learn that there, I, I'm a definitely been practicing idiot compassion in a lot of ways where I would um, not be compassionate towards my own well being. You know, in extending that compassion to others, and it really, truly was de depleting my life force. So I don't know. I mean, I know it's a lot again, but uh, yeah, no, I'll I'll pick up a thread there. And I think you know, the light that you present. So I'm gonna I'm gonna read the definition of crazy wisdom just because I'm gonna. Right it's, it, I love because it's so well written in the book. I'm like, why should I? I'm just gonna read it, and then we can talk about what it actually means Excellent. practically. So the feminine superpower of crazy wisdom is the willingness to explore, trust, speak, and act from your deep heart wisdom over conventional wisdom or outside intelligence, even if it seems crazy, irrational, improbable, or irresponsible, or stretches you outside your comfort zone. And thing is that even if you're not familiar with the term crazy wisdom, you've used it before. So I would ask everyone listening right now to think of a time in your life, and you do this too, Warren, and, and I'll do it as well, where you found yourself at a crossroads or you found yourself at a choice point. And 
you, there, there was a conventional path that, that you could take. There was what your own, like that, what, that there was a part of the rational part, the intellectual part that said like, this is, you know, you should do it this way. There's the part that wants safety and security and says, you know, do it this way. And then there's the other part that's like, you know, we're going to do this differently because inside of me, I know this is the right path for me. Crazy wisdom is not ungrounded. It's not ungrounded. It's not magical thinking. It is not, um, you know, if we were, if we were teaching, if we were having a conversation about power spectrums, which is one of, it's not in, not in this book, in a coming book, um, you, you would see an infinity sign of, um, with masculine power on the right and feminine power on the left, intuition is on the left, masculine power is intellect, it's on the right. Crazy wisdom is what gets activated when both of those things actually work together. And so when you're making a choice, so think of a choice you've made where it seemed maybe your family thought you were crazy or people around you thought that you were crazy. We use that term crazy or you even said this sounds crazy but but there was a knowing inside of you that was willing to step out of your comfort zone and it felt there was risk to it it felt risky whether it was a real risk or it was a you know a, a kind of a mental risk and it worked out okay mm. on the other side and, and led you to things you never could have figured out or known were there yeah um, until you landed there so okay. I have many crazy wisdom stories, but I'm but I, I'm curious, Warren, if you have one that you might want to 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 share. Yeah, I can tell you that most as I'm listening to you and thinking about that, a lot of that is about people. It's mostly navigating relationships that I would say that that comes into play in my life, where it's a feeling where I this has happened to me many times, where the world is just dumping flowers at someone's feet. And saying they're, they're great, get hook up with that person. It's going to be a lot of money attached to it. You're going to get status. Uh, and I just every sometimes it's just maybe it's just markers. I don't know what they are, but I just and my wife and I we talk about this privately a lot. It's like yeah, because you do have that kind of strange thing where you're like, no, I'm just going to be hands off and even possibly create some distance. And then in time, usually it's like, ah, bullet dodged. That would have mm -hmm. been completely toxic if I would have allowed uh, everyone else's recommendations, you know, because you see what they're doing to people. <clears throat> you see yes. how it's actually hurting other people, benefiting them. And you go, and a lot of times it's, it's sometimes it's business relationships, and sometimes they're personal relationships, but yeah, that that's I mean that's vague, but that's most of the time where I would say that comes into play is because it's all about relationship, right? I mean, most of life is about relationship with whether it's people or circumstances. It's how we are put into those things and how we're connecting to them. Well, it is, and it, and it's courageous, right? So where like it's courageous. So I I put a, there's a wisdom bite right above the crazy wisdom in the book that says the crazy the courage and clarity to make choices that are right for you come from the deep wisdom within you, willing to shake up the status quo to stay true to yourself. And you know this is I would say don't be a lemming, you know. And it's it's and the, you know the thing about the lemmings are well. Side note, it's not a totally true story, but for a metaphor, we'll use it. Like don't be a, don't be a lemming. And it's one of the things I'm actually really passionate about. I just is 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 I is is teaching people about how their wisdom works because we're not taught 
I mean, we're actually taught the opposite. It's worse and worse. I mean, I just did a, a, a talk for 20 high school girls um, for a, for a, for a very high level organization that is very, has a lot of financial resources. These girls have been educated in the best possible way. And I asked all 20 of them, like, how many of you know how your intuition works? How have you received training in that? And I got half a hand of the 20 girls. And these are women and younger women who, you know, have been, they have all the resources in the world. And so we're teaching our kids STEM, science, math, all good. But we're like taking out art and taking out music and taking out handwriting and taking out embodiment and wisdom lives in our bodies and it lives in our hearts. It's not intellectual. It is like, it's uh, people always say, well, how do I know when it's my crazy wisdom or my intuition guiding me versus that other voice, which for women, I call the inner mean girl. And for um, men, I call the inner mean dude. And that one, you know, that's like, well, you know, you have to do it or what are you crazy? You know that I'm like, you go to your body. Cause if you're in your mind, your mind's going to try to keep you safe. That's your mind's job. And there's all kinds of human consciousness education that goes way beyond traditional education that, that proves all of this. And yogis have known this forever. This is why we meditate. It's why we do yoga. It's why we walk outside, tap into what Einstein called the quantum field or the imaginal field. And in the traditional world, it gets poo-pooed and woo-wooed. That's what happens to it. Right. Yeah. I think it's poo pooed and we even poo poo it and woo woo it. You know, well, you know, I don't (laughs) anymore. You're you're right. It does get, it's almost like, oh, that's, that's it's. All, I hate to say it, but down in the south, we'd say, "Oh, bless your heart." Isn't that sweet? They believe those things, and it's all just sort of pushed aside. And <laughs> we take it very that. seriously in our home. And yeah, I mean, it's it is. It's a different type of. Uh, I always say there are realities that perhaps I can't touch, like my desk in front of me right here. It's not solid, but they are just as real. It's my ability to perceive them that needs to change. Yes. When people say, oh, I have to go back to reality or I have to be real, (laughs) I'm just like back the truck up, everybody, and let's talk about because that's the overculture. I have to go be real. I have to be practical. And again, following your wisdom and doing things that are different from the norm isn't about being, I always say, don't be a dummy pants, right? So I'll give you an example. (laughs) This has shown up for me in my career a lot in that I have had many different times in my career where I stopped and paused and I just did this very intuitively, and I looked where the path was going. So I remember doing this at the age of 29, and looking was working in marketing at the time at a big consulting agency, working 60 to 80 hours a week. And I'm like, okay, I know that I could run this agency or another agency. Like I have that ability within me, but do I want to do that? And so I paused and I looked up at the people that were, you know, ahead of me and they all were tired. They had bags under the eyes. If they were married, they were usually um, not happy marriages or they were single because they had no time to be in relationship. And I intuitively knew that's not for me. And so at the time, it was when the dot-com, the first dot-com, hard to believe, like was just rising up. And I knew I need. I wanted to get my MBA. I knew that. Like I felt, I always knew I would get my MBA. And I have my MBA from Kellogg, um, which is one of the top two business schools in the country. And the reason I did that now I look back was because I knew I had to go to Kellogg was because it's one of the top two business schools in the country. So when I go out and I talk about all this stuff to people, they don't be like, that's the crazy lady, right? Because <laughs> they'll use right. crazy to discount people. So I'm like, yeah, actually, I have, I have I have my MBA and I, you know, I've been a successful entrepreneur for many years. And so 
there's validity in that. So I knew I had to get my MBA. And so I, I, you know, I, I had two job opportunities on the table. I had one that was in a dot-com agency that was like por- all kinds of options. That's what was going on. We'll give you all these options, like all this potential future money, you know, option, option, option. And everyone's like, oh, you should do that. It's like the dot-com internet. That's where it's at. I've never had an interest in technology, like as far as like all of that. Like I can't make myself care about cell phones. Like I just can't. Never. <laughs> I just like had no interest in it. And I and it, but it was the sexy place to go. And then I had another job op- opportunity from Blue Cross Blue Shield in um, the insurer for, for their association, being like their national advertising manager. Very non-sexy. Very like the non-sexiest as you could possibly get. <laughs> But and very like not about like being progressive, not about, you know, being visionary, but they were going to pay for my school 80 percent. And everyone on the outside said, take the the culture said, take the sexy job. And something inside of me said, no, take this job. So I took the job with the insurance company. Now, you all, what I didn't know was halfway through my MBA. So I was getting my MBA at night, working full time during the day. That halfway through, I would go through what essentially was a divorce. I wasn't married, but I was engaged, and we had been dating for 15 years, owned a business, owned a house together. And he broke up with me on the way to our engagement party, which is another story in a different book. But it's, it was my, my wake-up call. And it, bro- it shattered me in a good way. Um, and that set me on this path that I'm on right now. So I was like literally dismantling my whole inner self and, you know, I was in therapy and I was like just a mess and, you know, and, and I was going to school full time and I was working full time. If I had been in a job that was stressful and demanded 60 to 80 hours a week versus this job where I could literally go there and maybe work, get my work done. And 50% of the time I had to be in the office and the other time I was at therapy or having lunch with friends or, you know, doing my homework. And I remember I was dating my husband, Noah at the time. And I just would come home you all from work and I'd be so mad. I'd be like, why don't they give me more responsibility? Why don't, why don't they see me? And Noah's like, Christine, this is just a job to pay your bills and pay your school. Just go in, just be quiet, you know, just, just, just receive this as a gift But that was part of my learning of like, wow, the universe put me here as a gift so that I would have the space to do all this other work. Mm. Mm -hmm. And it's what I call now a transition job, Ah, which is like, it's a job that it's like easy. It's no sweat. They pay you, you give energy, you, maybe you have to be there. Maybe you don't, but you, you know, you, you can figure out usually how to do your work in 60 to 70% of the time. And then you use the other 30% to, you know, do other stuff. Um, and so that was my crazy wisdom. I yeah. never would have put my, I could never have predicted that. That's how it works. I, there's I so much in that story right there to unpack. Cause that was, you, you, you actually went right into one of the things I was curious about. And I, I really keyed in on something you were just talking about there. And it was, uh, and it's a common thread that I see across the conversations I've had on the show. And just in my own life, when I meet people who have had, this desire like you to retool and then also use your gifts to help other people. And that's you, you actually use the words that I, I typically use. And it's the breakdown, you know, and not literally like I'm breaking down, but like everything just sort of the old person begins to crumble apart. It's like, man, there's all these pieces. And, and I almost envision it like 
there's somebody on the inside trying to hold all those pieces together, but they keep like the outer one that everybody sees, the little piece will fall off here and there, you know? And that person's like inside trying to stick it back on and all the stress and energy is inside. And then one day it's like, okay, whatever it is, whatever yours was an event, you know, this breakup, it starts this chain reaction. It's like a domino effect. All of a sudden the breakdown happens and all that stuff just falls apart. And that person on the inside's like, I can't wear this skin anymore. I can't even put this back together. You know, I have to kind of start over almost. And I hear that same sort of version. I and mean, it's not just in modern world. I mean, so many wise teachers have been through the same thing, some version of that, this breakdown. And I love hearing that story. I don't know. It just touches my heart because you go, wow, that is an amazing thing. And you almost, I don't ever wish suffering or pain on people, but it's like it. it's such a almost crucial ingredient i mean to to the meal of our lives almost to be to the, the chopping you know yes yes well and, and and i would imagine many people who are listening right now have had their own versions you know i, I call that my self-love catalyst uh, when i uh. just really had what happened in that moment which spawned me to do a lot of work around self-love which was um my my inner my inner wisdom basically said to me christine you have a lot of self-esteem but you don't love yourself and I was like, oh, truth. Like I knew that, but I'm like, I don't even know what self-love is. Just like when I, I knew I needed the feminine because as an entrepreneur, there was no way I was going to be able to be successful without burning myself out the way I was taught to work and survive in corporate America. And that's when I heard the voice, you need the feminine. And both times when I looked around and I asked people, I, I would just get these mealy, mealy answers that were like, not really like, I don't even know to be nice to yourself, be compassionate. I'm like, no, I need to know, you know, where I'm strong and where I'm weak in my self-love. And that, you know, sent me on a whole journey of understanding that self-love is actually broken down into 10 different components. It's not just one big mishmash. And the same thing happened to me with overwhelm. I think it's one of my superpowers is like, I see the, the whole system and then I break it down in a way for us to understand it, to be able to go in and say, okay, where am I weak? Where am I strong? Where are the stress points? Where can I shift that so that you have some focus to it? So like, for example, with overwhelm, one of the first imprints that I found that is really driving so many of us to create lives and careers and relationships that are out of whack, out of harmony, that were bubble gumming. I, I have a similar thing. It's, I always felt like I felt like I was bubble gumming my insides together just to yeah. keep it all together. And then it just <laughs> right. went kapowie. And I'm like, I don't ever want a kapowie again. Yeah. And it isn't that I haven't had distressing times. I have, but I've not had the universal two by four again. Oh, and I'm actually wow. much more <laughs> proactive that. about it. I've had definite challenges. Um, but the, the, the piece about the overwhelm and this imprint, what I found was there's this imprint. You've all heard this. It's better to give than receive. Right. You've heard this. Yeah. Orin. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So I found when I was writing my second book, Madly in Love with Me, and I was diving into self-care and what was like, what was self-care specifically about one of the, this, this imprint rose up. It's better to give than receive. And Noah, my partner, um, who's very, I think you guys would be good friends. <laughs> he, he also loves dragons. I'm a, I'm the Phoenix. He's the dragon. So he has like church with dragons on it. And I love the Phoenix. She and I are, um, we know each other well. And, um, and, uh, and he's my first line editor. So he, you know, comes in and walks into my office and I'm like, Noah, 
who said this? This is better to give than receive because this is like, if it's better to give than receive, of course, we're going to have trouble receiving. Of course, we're going to sacrifice ourselves. Of course, we're just going to give to everything else. And then if we like we are having a, a receiving non, like we don't know how to receive as people, whether it's a compliment or it's help or it's support. We push it away. We we get it. We give it again. And and I'm like, this is wrong. And Noah just gets. He's very. He's much more subdued than I am. And he just gets really quiet. And he looks at me. And he goes, you know, Christine. I don't know how to tell you this, but um, Jesus is attributed to saying it's better to give than receive. And I was like. Huh. Hmm. Can't really put Jesus was wrong in my book. That's not going to go so <laughs> This is interesting. So well. So, so let me just I'm like, give me a moment. I'm just going to like, you know, let me t- let me let me tap in here. And I'm like, oh, I got it. It's it's a translation situation. I do not think the JC would say that. That does not seem like one of the things he would teach. So if you just change that one little word, it's better to give and receive. It changes the whole equation. Right. So then instead of being a selfless giver, we become strong achievers, we become generous caregivers, and we become unapologetic, graceful receivers. Yeah. Now, to do that, you got to get clear on how you overgive, because what's happening for most of us is we overgive to work or relationship or both. It tends to be the primary place. And then we under receive what we need. And that's when we get sick or we get emotionally cranky, we burn out, we get mentally fried. And so when I was doing this research, one of the things that I found was just like with self-love, how I was able to break it down into 10 parts. You can break overgiving and overgiving down into, I think there's 13 ways we over, we overgive. So there's over caretaking, overextending, over promising, over responsibility, over-focusing on the future. And when you do those over, again, getting out of balance, you end up depleting your life force and your resources and creating stress and pressure. So the, 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 the beauty of it is like, if you can get really clear on which of those over-givings are running you, you'll start to see how it's showing up in your choices, in relationship, in work, in life design, and because you can't change what you can't see, if all you could say is I feel overwhelmed or I feel like I'm always giving and I don't have enough or whatever, you just, it's like this big pool and you don't know what to do. Um, so that's one of my favorite practices to do is to get clear on, on, on what kind of overgiving is running you. And then what I do is every year I choose one over and I spend the whole year focused on elevating it and transforming it and going deeper into myself to say what's driving that within me. And then from that place, I can actually start to see things in how I'm operating in my business and my relationships that I actually have more power to change than I think if I'm really to be real with myself about what's going on in here. Yeah. I love this. I love this topic actually, uh, because I'm one of those people too. I have a hard time. I've always seemed to have a hard time receiving versus giving and everything you were saying, if we could back up for just a second, I, it made me think of something I haven't thought of in years. And uh, many, 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 many years ago, uh, over two decades ago, I used to go to this really sort of really poor little church in my community. And I loved it so much. It's no longer here. It's probably the only Christian community where I ever really felt at home, truly at home. Uh, and I think the lack of 
the lack that existed there probably was a part of it that everybody sort of came from um that no one was putting on any kind of show of any kind it was really all about caring for each other and one evening they invited me to something that they had been doing for years that I'd never been a part of, and it was the foot foot washing ceremony. Mm. Where uh, and I said, "Oh, I, yeah, I know the story, you know, from the Bible, where Jesus washes the his disciples' feet." And they didn't want him to. They were like, "No, no, no!" But he did it, and I love it because it gets right into what you're talking about. So I go to this thing. And I really didn't know what to expect. And, you know, they're, they tell everybody, take your shoes off. And there's a bowl of water. And there were, you know, 30 people, 30 or 40 people there, men and women. And they kind of mix you up so you're not sitting next to your friends, you know. And then one by one, you know, everyone starts washing the feet of the person next to them. And what I loved about it, and I, I really, I was uncomfortable. And my friend said, you'll be uncomfortable at first. I said, well, it's not natural to like watch another human being get down on their knees with a bowl and a, a rag and water, warm water, and, and let them wash my, you know, my dirty feet, my unkept feet. Did I clip my toenails? I know it's disgusting, but like, that's all the stuff that was going through my head. And he said, I remember exactly where you were. He said, I felt the same way. He said, but what I had to learn was that our inclination is to want to be the one that's down there on our knees serving them and washing their feet. He said, but this ritual shows you that you also equally important is your ability to allow someone to do that for you. And he said, and it is interesting how many of us are very comfortable with getting down on our knees to serve, but we're almost all uncomfortable receiving the service. And I was like, man, it's and it's a lesson I've, I've I've struggled with my whole life, but it is interesting because it gets into what you're talking about. I mean, we it is a poor it's a it's not like maybe the word balance isn't right, but I mean it's something that I need to learn and I know other people need to learn too to receive. I mean not not to be too out of whack in the receiving end to serve too, but like to actually allow it to happen. I I know that's got to be a struggle for so many people. Oh, I think it's a struggle for almost every person who's not a narcissist. I mean, I think narcissists don't, they don't, they, 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 they assume they, that's not their issue. But most people who are not on what I call the narcissistic spectrum, which don't, and by the way, if you're not a narcissist already, um, you don't have to worry about it. Like not going to happen, not going to happen to you. That most of our, our challenge will do the other way. And it's really sneaky how it happens. Um, about this overgiving and 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 under receiving, and this is the hard part for people to swallow. And this is you know why some people some people you know they 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 don't really want to do the work. They don't really want to look at what's going on inside of themselves. And and I don't you know what I would say to you is like I get it. And but if you're not willing to look at yourself and get into the deeper reasons within your own heart, why it's hard for you to receive and why you overgive which are usually tied to a way that we value ourselves and where our worth comes from and like deeper parts of fear and not belonging and, you know, like just like deep stuff. Yeah. And, you know, when you have a big, for me, what happened to me when I was 29, 30 and my whole infrastructure broke apart into a gazillion pieces, I was really clear. I was like, okay, I could either like paste this all back together, just plow back into work and I'll, I'll repeat. Or I could basically 
or I could, um, or I could start taking drugs. My, 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 my well, could have been mother-in-law started trying to say, take some Xanax. I'm like, mm. <laughs> and um, a lot of people yeah. do go that route, right? I mean, they do. do. I mean, I, I medicated with some wine spritzers for a while. I mean, so I'm just saying it's, it's all good. You, know, you gotta do what you gotta do for a little while. And if it's part of the process, that's okay. But it's not a forever fix. It's something that you do to kind of get through that. It's almost like when you're blown up into a million pieces, you don't say, let's talk about your personal personal evolution now you right, know it's like right, right. You, you need that so that was a like for me my crutch was wine spritzers um and and cigarellos i had quit smoking which was really challenging when that has to happen i have to say <laughs> so but it was a very it was a two-year period and then i was and i was done but the the point being that um Sorry, I just like totally went back to Chicago. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, why I it's just so fascinating. Um, oh, in that moment, okay. I was like, I'm gonna go in. I'm gonna go into my heart and I'm gonna fuck. I don't even know because that was the other thing the voice said. It said, not only did you almost marry the wrong person, you almost created the wrong life because you don't even know what your heart and soul desire. And that caused me that night, I made what I now call the foundational vow of self-love. There's five vows of self-love that I teach and promises. The first one is I will never settle for less than my heart and soul desire, which if you're running the giving is better than receiving thing would sound selfish, but it's not because if first you got to know your heart, you got to know your soul, you got to know who you are and what matters to you, what you need, what really matters to you. Um, and if you create from your heart, which is the center of love, right? And you create in alignment with your soul's path, you're only going to create good. I mean, that's, you know, it's like, it's like, that's, that, that's the way to go. And and because I was willing to go there and I've been willing to go there again and again and again and again and again and again, I I keep reinventing myself. I keep coming up to those parts. And, And so I'm not saying to anybody who's listening right now, it's not, it's not to like judge you for not being willing to go to those places. It's scary. It's hard. Um, but where we're at right now in the culture, like we literally are collectively going through a massive transformation. We're in the goo right now. We're not a caterpillar. We're certainly not a butterfly, but it is like, we are in the collective goo. And here's my perspective is if you don't go into the deeper parts and really get go into the heart and and get connected to your own soul. It's suffering, and it's going to be a long, gooey suffering path. Yeah, that's or, incredibly you know, you can, good advice. Yeah, you can choose to go in there, and you don't have to sit on a you know therapy couch for twenty years. But you go in there and use tools like I share, or and you share people that there's so many great teachers out there and resources now there really isn't anything to be afraid of because it's all you there anyway. And it's going to, it's sometimes it's challenging. Um, but I, but I would rather do that. I mean, that's the Phoenix. She's willing to fly through the fire. The the lore of her is every 1500 years, the Phoenix burns down her nest, her home, her comfort to fly through the fires, to basically release what's called the dross or the negredo, the heavy stuff that we don't need, the, the skins that don't fit, the patterns that don't fit, the things we no longer need. She comes out the other sides, rises through the ashes and What's I love about the Phoenix is that everything that she needs and her deeper wisdom, she keeps, she retains everything that's really real and needed. 
and her deeper wisdom, that doesn't burn. It's only the stuff that weighs her down. And so you can either choose to go through it proactively where there can be joy and, you know, there's going to be some pain, obviously, you know, it's like that's going to happen, but it's the difference of it doesn't have to be elongated suffering for years yeah. and years and years. And to me, that's where the power is. That's a beautiful image for the listeners to have, I think. I mean, I don't know how many of them who listen have ever thought of the Phoenix that way, but it creates this beautiful image if you think about it. I mean, I always think of the phoenix you know we, t- we tend to think of it as a fiery bird and it's just the fiery bird but i love almost more to think of it as this bird that's spreading its wings and each time it spreads in them the feathers that are revealed are all these beautiful colors you know like each feather almost represents a transformed a transformed feather a new color that gets added into this sort of tapestry and, and it's slowly sheds these old sort of gray withered feathers you know and they're just left on the ground and eventually they're replaced by these beautiful things that's a really beautiful picture for me uh it's, it's almost uh multicolored in, in a way oh, yeah it is, and and what's interesting about the phoenix is that um so that's the that's the mystical that's the mystical bird it, it has a it has a it has a material world counterpart the peacock and in um, in different wisdom traditions, the peacock feather is a symbol for transforming fear into love. Mm, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're doing as a culture right now. Yeah. And as we're doing as a world, because it has to happen in order for us. You, know, you can't talk about like unity consciousness and peace, love and happiness and all of a sudden you can't you can't get there if you don't be with what is and release yourself from these parts because you just keep recreating from what's called the wound versus creating from wholeness. And that's why the universe guided me to write Overwhelmed and Over It first. And I think why that, I mean, at the end of the day, it's all connected to self-love because if you don't get in there with your own heart, it's it's hard to be that with other people because you'll, you'll create from the wound you'll create relationships, you'll create businesses. I mean, I've had to go back into my business structures and my relationships with people who work with me and find how I created from a lack of receiving mm. and an overgiving. And and like I had to go in there and I had to find it and then I had to, you know, shift it and change it within myself to then shift it within my organization, which usually meant that they left um, or the relationship elevated. And we just we don't think about that. We're like, okay, what is like, like, how is it? This is so practical. This is so practical. But we don't we just don't see it that way because. Well, I don't know because you just don't know what you don't know until you you know you know it, and then it's like, wow, like this is where that power of you know where Gandhi says, be the change you wish to see, it all does really happen with the inside ourselves. And then as we shift ourselves, then our frequency shifts, our energy shifts. We, we create from wholeness. Yeah. I mean, how can you be a person who's creating from woundedness and expect to create a family system or a business system that is wholeness at the center? It never can. And this, and, and we're all just part of shifting this right now. It's so, so I'm, I'm so in alignment with what you're saying right now. Often on this show, uh, the listeners will hear me say this thing over and over again, that my mission, ultimately, the best way I can describe it is to go into a cave with my guests and maybe share some personal things. And we, we keep going in 
But the goal is not just to go in the cave, it's to light lanterns on the way out and then illuminate it and bring good things out. And I love what you're saying about don't create from the wound, because it does remind me of that. I mean, if we go into the cave, and I've thought this many times, I can go in there and find something really tragic or painful from my past. And if I carry that out of the cave and I go, look, look, look at this terrible thing that I found. And then use that as sort of the cornerstone for whatever work I'm going to do in the world. I'm really only spreading ugliness, you know, and and darkness. And I don't want to do that. I'd rather go in and say, oh, I did find this terrible thing. What can I learn from it? And how can that be a sort of the oil that helps me light these wicks as I walk out? You know, so the next people who come into the wound or the cave it's not so dark for them. And I just love everything you're saying right there. That's absolutely what the mission of this show is. And I'm glad to know that it aligns with, uh, with your work in that way. I love that. I love, I, I, I love going into good caves as long as they're good caves and there's some <laughs> good light in there. And, and having these, these, you know, when I, when I realized that the training I had been given in the conventional world had not prepared me to create the life that I desired, but also to even to really truly be a whole person. And then I found these wisdom traditions that I studied, whether it was yogic science or indigenous wisdom, feminine wisdom. Those are my primary places I've studied, but I've also done lots of studying in the metaphysical world. Taoism, like I, you know, I have the smatter of many, but those are my three primary. What I realized is like, there's a reason that those wisdom traditions are poo-pooed and woo-wooed away. Because if people really embraced what they had. And they all teach the same thing. I mean, it's, that's when you know, you know, that's where their superpower, when you see those same things, it has nothing to do with religion, which is man-made. Religion is a man-made structure. Government is a man-made, human-made structure. The education system, the, the financial market system that we have a stock market, like that's all made up, you all. Like, just like, think about this for a moment. It's all made up by humans. And most of the structures that we live in, you can trace it back to the Industrial Revolution. You could trace it back to the Romans. You could go even back farther than that. And you could see the consciousness that it's that that was created. It was about domination and control over, and all of that is woven into the systems that we are like stuck in, you know, really as a society. Mm-hmm. And I share that with you all, not to overwhelm you about it, but a, open your eyes and understand like, okay, so like what Christine and Orrin are talking about, what we're talking about all of you right now is if humans made the systems, that means we have the power to create a different way. But the reason we haven't been able to create the different way yet, which some people call, like Eckhart Tolle named it the new earth. Other people call it divine earth. It's a higher level of consciousness that the, the, where the construct of the, of the systems in society is based around the health of the planet and the people, where harmony and wholeness and sustainability are actually at the core. We actually have to go through this transformation where we're healing the things that haven't been addressed you know, so whether it's the rate, it's whether it's race, whether it's gender, whether it's you know, there's like so there's a lot of them. Um, those have to be addressed and come up and shifted and transformed yeah. while we're preserving and staying sustained where we are, and also creating where we're going. And we don't want to like set up a camp and camp, 
you know, tragic things happened <laughs> to me. Right. But there's the moment of like, you acknowledge it. It's there. How's it affecting you now? And then you step into your power and your compassion and you're compassionate with yourself and gentle with yourself and loving with yourself. And then you're also like, and I'm going to, I'm going to create differently from this place. And then all of a sudden you're, you're like, we're, we, you know, we're going to wake up maybe hopefully five years, 10 years. I don't know how many years it's going to take us all to get here, but we just do it in our own lives first, in our own families first, right. in our own relationships first. And, um, that's very important. That's, I'm glad you said that because I, I, I encourage that. You know, um, another guest and I were talking about this sort of in this realm of, you know, the, the wise master on the mountain that's separated from the world. You know, we don't need that right now. Yeah, we really need people that are have the ability to be in the world, in these broken systems or these failing systems, and look at them with love and wisdom and heal them for one and ch- and begin mm-hmm. to change you know but we, mm-hmm. we can't just change without the healing that's something that's so uh i see you can see that really right now and especially in american in america i feel like you see old wounds and we just there's so many of us that just like let's just move on and i'm like we've been moving on it's just like what's going on in our community with all the hurricanes that there's so much debris and i saw a video the other day and you know within in our community in a neighborhood there's this huge hole that they've dug it's massive right behind homes where people live and they're just dumping this stuff in there i mean you all kinds of stuff and i'm like that that's okay right now because it's getting it off the street out of sight but now we've got this giant scar in the earth that we're just burying that's going to come up again it's Mm -hmm. going to come back to haunt us we're not healing anything we're just tucking it away and moving on. And that's just not, I'm all about, I'm okay with forward momentum, uh, I guess. I mean, on a line, but I also think if you're just leaving rubble behind you, it's just not the right way. It's, not, it's slow down and stop and, and do the healing as you're moving, you know? Yeah. And that's what, that's, that's why I was, I've been saying to people, this is the, this is a great time to go within. This is a great time to go within. Um, and, and again, you don't have to set up camp and camp, you know, pity pants or camp, <laughs> or like, you know, tragedy. Um, you go in, you do the parts and you're, you're in your life and you start to make different decisions. And, and, and then once you, you know, you stabilize, then we can actually create the new yeah. part. And we're in it together. You know, that's yeah. the other thing. I know we hear that a lot, but it's like, I think when Gandhi said, be the change you wish to see, we wouldn't anticipate that it would just be this nice refrigerator magnet that would become this like vanilla you know, thing we would toss around. And I see that a lot with people who want to make an impact, who do care. I'm not doing enough. I should be doing more. I'm not doing enough. What am I really doing? And I have to, so many of the people I mentor in, in my different leadership groups, I have to say, look, you doing this piece on the inside is the work. Yeah. And they're like, we need to talk about the business. We don't, I'm like, no, we need to do this first because if we do not do this inner part, you harmonize on the inside and whole on the inside, you're going to create a business, a marriage, whatever from the wound. And so let's, you know, get this harmonized and whole so that what you create can prosper in a, in a, in a field that is full of love and harmony. And if, you know, crap comes in, you'd be like, Oh no, we're not just going to bury that. We're going to, you know, we're going to alchemize that with some loves yes. and that's like, you know, moving on. And so, um, don't be afraid. We don't have to be afraid of it. We don't have to set up camp in it. And I think, 
um, this is why we have these conversations. So I'm yeah. so great to you, Oren, for, for cultivating the space and for everyone inviting me into the cave today to, you know, <laughs> thing, you know the thing is, as wisdom keepers, we, it's okay to have caves, like, you know, retreat. It's actually one of my practices every at the solstices and the equinoxes, I take what's called a power pause or what I call a power pause. And I, I pause to reflect and, um, realign and refocus. It's something I do every year. And some part of the teachings I do, and it's what helps keep me sane. If you were to ask me, what are the top three practices I do that keeps me focused on my path, centered and sustained, the power pause would be one of the top three. Of just, it's part of how we also deal with the uncertainty and how we tune into that deeper wisdom to say, okay, what now? So if we break it down into these, you know, in, in corporate world speak, they would call it quarterly, um, which is true. But the natural world no matter where you live, it has these four points that they call the turns. And the, the teaching is, the wisdom teaching is, when you get your your life into alignment with the natural cycles, your life will naturally move you into harmony. Yes. Doesn't mean you don't have to make changes. Doesn't mean you have to make choices. You know, doesn't mean that, that that's all true. Doesn't mean there won't be loss or some things, you you know, but like it's, it's, and I have been practicing and living this way for over 15 years, and and I could definitely say it's true. It doesn't mean that I do I have everything I want. No, do I have everything I need? Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's like you know that that part. Do I have sufficiency? I have sufficiency. You know, it's like do and it's and I have a lot more than that in many ways. As I'm looking out at the beautiful water here on the island I live. And I think that's the the piece is like there are real practices here. Um, and the same thing is with the way that you the other practice would be the bookend. How you start your days, how you live your day, how you end your day will goes to sleep with you. So what that first right. hour of your day and the last hour of your day, making sure you're connecting physically, spiritually, and also to your heart and not taking in outside media and outside stuff because that gets into your into your psyche and it twizzles you out so that those that would be the other practice that i would really encourage people to try both of those yeah it's interesting i i'll uh, i practice with my son and i we have this conversation a lot we, we practice medicine wheel which is similar exactly what you're talking about you know like what is the cycle we're in today and as we move through the cycle throughout the day and then also throughout the year and then really looking at it broader, like the cycle of your life, you know, and mm-hmm. are you and allowing that wheel to turn, you know, don't resist the wheel because those, those cycles are natural you know, and you're going to make many of them in your life, you know, and I, uh, we have markers in nature that help us remind us of those things. If we're paying attention, when nature starts to signal, if we practice enough, you're right. It, it almost triggers it in your biology to mm-hmm. move into that stage, you know? Uh, so yeah, I love this. I love what you're talking about. This is beautiful. Happy, I know it. Hey there, Good News listener. I hope you've enjoyed this episode as much as I've enjoyed producing it. Now, it's time for the Fishing for Goodies segment, where I turn my interviewer role over to the Good News Fishbowl. Longtime listeners know that the Fishbowl contains over 400 unique questions, many seated by you, the listeners. Did you know that you could submit unique questions to the Fishbowl? That's right. Just call the Good News Hotline at 802-459-1668 to have your question added. You can also visit findthegood.news and send me an email. Now, 
let's take that dive into the fishbowl. I actually now want to ask you to enter into a bit of a cave that we call the fishbowl. And uh, this is the last part of the show where I don't uh, ask questions anymore. I let the fishbowl ask questions. So each guest, I pull three questions out and then we just see what's in here. Some of these questions I put in here originally, a lot of them were put in by guests of the show and uh, listeners. So let's see what you're willing to play. Okay, I'll play. So I love, I love, I love, show, I love games. All right. <laughs> so, huh? First thing: Do desperate times call for desperate measures? It's an interesting question. No, desperate times call for divine measures. Ooh, I like that. Excellent answer. <laughs> I don't know if you need to even elaborate. That is wonderful. All right, that's that's good. Desperate times call for divine measures. Love that. See what how a, the imprint? Notice the old imprint, and we just upgraded and elevated the imprint. That's right. Gosh, I love that. That's perfect. Oh, I like this question here. This is good, because this is one of my favorite. It's kind of like one of my favorite movies, Groundhog's Day. Love the movie. Uh-huh. And this question says, if you have to relive the same day for the rest of your life, what day would you choose? Hmm. That's a toughie, huh? Well, you know, it's interesting because I, I have this experience in the morning sometimes when I um, I wake up because I have a I have a routine to my my day and I never want it to feel like a routine, you know. And 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 so one of the things I'm a big believer in is um, what you see when you first wake up every morning, like the first thing you see. So one of my practices I do is I put my hands over my eyes. And I, um, as soon as I realize I'm awake and then I actually move my hands out from my eyes so I can see my palms. So I'm like really connecting with my body. My second practice that I do in the morning is my secret practice, but I'll share it with you all is, um, it's called my, I am practice. And it is, um, I identified 15 different ways of like, what would receiving feel like in my body if I could receive, or what do I need to hear to feel safe and secure? And so I ask my inner wisdom that sometimes, and I'll say, I am. And so like my current, I am. And then I work with these usually for six weeks. Sometimes I I'd actually shift them at the quarter point. So I shift them every six to eight weeks. So my current one right now is I am nurtured and sometimes I am loved. And so I repeat that to myself first thing in the morning to imprint that into my brain and into my being. And I'll just say it to myself really softly and gently as if I'm programming it into me like I'm in it and it, it, it it does work. A bit like mantra. Yeah. I mean like mind protection. Yeah. It is. Well, I am is a, is what's called a beige mantra or a seed mantra. And it is, um, it is like lots of different meanings. It's one of the most powerful practices on the planet. Um, and, and so that I, it, no one, you could do that if you have five cats and two dogs, because you do it before anyone even realizes, you know, that you're awake. And then my third part is making sure I see something in my room that I really want, like, that's gonna, that's gonna set my free, you know, set my day. And so I, when I was, um, when I was traveling, I brought Noah a um, a picture that says it's a poster, but it's framed, and it says "I love you every day." And so that's the first thing I see after when I open my eyes. It's like up, it's on the opposite side of our our bed, 
And so, or maybe it says every day I love you. It's one of those two. And so that just, that, that's what I would want to repeat those. I connect with myself, I connect to spirit. And then I see that and I'm like, oh, there's Noah and there's my dog. Like, you know, so I'm all this love and connection before I even got out of bed. Yeah, that's beautiful. So any day really then was a good, is a good day. If you start it that way, mm-hmm. it would be a good selection, huh? Mm-hmm. I like that. So it doesn't matter what day it is. It's how you start it. That's beautiful. All right, so here is the third question from the fishbowl. Huh. Okay. Would you rather hear the good news or the bad news first? (laughs) (laughs) Good and bad is a um, duality reality, which we didn't get totally into, but it's like you will receive, give, Democrat, Republican, good, bad, work, life. So, um which just keeps you caught in polarity. So I'm not, this is, this is, you'll just tell you a little bit about me. I never, I'm, I'm, I'm not programmed to do things like everybody else. So um, (laughs) that's part of my essence. Um, I, um, you know, I I feel like to me, it's more like a challenge, like the, you know, like what's like, do I want to, it's like a construct of like good or bad news. I just, it doesn't even like apply. I think what I would say to somebody is you tell me what you think I need to hear first and then I'll trust you. So then that, that invites the wisdom in. And I know whether it feels challenging or it feels like, you know, amazing. Um, the yogis teach that, and not just the yogis, I'll Buddha taught this, Jesus taught this. Um, the goal is to be able to live in your neutral mind. So yoga science teaches us we have a positive mind and a negative mind and a neutral mind. And they say, if you can access your neutral mind, you'll know your truth in eight seconds. Mm. This is why we meditate. This is why we breathe. This is why we do all these different things. So like in the moment, we can find that place to the neutral mind. And so this like good, bad thing that we do, negative, positive, it actually keeps us trapped in this lower vibrational frequency. And it's an easy place for fear to breed and scarcity to breed. So I think of it more like that's my practice is can I, can I come from a neutral place, which means I'm fully human and compassionate. And I'm also observing it. So I'm not just sucked into it. And, um, that is a practice. I mean, that's, 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 that's what yoga is. That's what, you know, that's, 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 I think our ultimate practice as humans. Yeah. I love what you're saying there. I mean, it reminds me a lot of, and it is a meditation. I love, I love to get up at dawn and walk out in the pasture land out kind of by where I live. And, uh, I have that thought very often, you know, when I see a hawk or any creature or anything going on in nature, I love to sit and observe it to the point where I stop observing each of those things as individual Mm. things. Like Mm. instead of saying, seeing the field hawk and going, Oh, that's a field hawk. Letting it just be what it is without the identifier and the fog Mm -hmm. and the sun. And it creates a, a type of neutrality and oneness really with all of those, with all of the things that are, in your perception, you know, you're a which part takes, of that. Yes. Which takes us right back to where we started, right? With yeah. the masculine and the feminine, which yeah, is right. this other polarity that we're trying to bring into harmony. So that is that I love that full circle. Yeah. Full beautiful. Circle. So I end the show with every guest with one final question. It's not from the fishbowl. I've been asking it since we started the show and 
in light of everything that you just said, this might be an interesting question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Uh, did anything good happen today? Hmm. I'm going to reframe it to, did anything beautiful happen today? There you today? go. <laughs> um, you know, I had this moment standing at one of my practices as earthing where I put my feet on the, no, no shoes on, on the earth every morning. And I try to do it throughout the day to just ground myself. And, uh, I'm standing out on the, on the, on the lot and I look out at the Puget Sound and the sun was shining and I looked to the left and I saw Mount Rainier, which is this very majestic 14,000 foot ice glacier. And then I looked to the right and I can see the Olympics from here. And so I have mountains on both, you know, these glacier, this big, huge one glacier volcano on one side and this other beautiful, majestic mountains and this blue sky and the sun. And just like, that was the moment of, um, of just breathing. And I I just breathe. I was like breathing in the beauty. Yeah. Um, Sounds beautiful. That was my, that was my beauty moment today. I I love that's one of the great treasures of, I guess, producing a show like this is uh, just what you just described, you know, earthing. I love meeting people because sometimes I, I will say sometimes you can, I do anyway, I won't say everyone, but I mean, maybe, maybe more people than not. You feel a little isolated, you know, perhaps, or on a lonely island uh, on the earth all by yourself, even though you're surrounded by a sea of people. And when you hear people doing similar things to what you're doing, you realize how interconnected we all really are and how um, unalone, really, Mm -hmm. you know? How, how broad that community is, even if we don't speak to each other or see each other. There's so many people out there that are touching the earth kindly uh, and connecting with their people in a different way. And I love it. I just love that. It's just what your last answer reminded me of. <laughs> We're not crazy. My, one of my yogi, te- yogi teachers said, Christine, normal in this society is unhealthy. You don't want to be normal. <laughs> oh, I like that. That's for yeah, sure. So it's crazy in a, crazy in a good way. <laughs> so look, uh, Christine, I always end the show by asking where people can connect with you, where you like for them to connect with you, what you have going on, where they can buy your book your new book and your other books and, and really everything that you got going on. So what's the best way for folks to connect with you? Yeah, two ways. One is um, come over to, I, I'm a podcaster too. So it's awesome. one of my favorite things to do. It's my podcast is called Feminine Power Time. And it's not just for women. It is for all beings. Right and, on. <laughs> um, so <laughs> come on over to theirs called Turn Off the Chatter and Tune Into What Matters. And um, so I'd love to have you check that out. That would be a great way yeah. to connect with me. And then two, if you just go, if you go to overwhelmedandoverit.com, that is the book page and that has the, the, am I overgiving quiz on it? It has the book where you can buy it. It's also on my webpage. So you'll also be able to look at my whole website and see all the different things I have going on. Um, both stuff I teach online. I do virtual events. I've been teaching online for 10, 13 years, a long time. Um, so there's always stuff going on. Yeah. I mean, you really do. You have, you're, you're linked up. I mean, I went through and you have a great YouTube channel, um, tons of resources for people to connect with you. So I, I appreciate your time. I really do. I hope folks will go out and buy the book and I hope they'll, they'll just continue to follow you and, uh, suck up some of that feminine wisdom that you're putting out there. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for having me on and just sending everyone that's listening many blessings and to remember that you are not alone exactly. We are definitely connected in this and um, 
And we're not going to wake up tomorrow and it's all going to be different, but that's okay. We take one step at a time and look around and see how it already is changing and is happening and seeing all that love that we have around us and how connected we actually really are. And that's the key to everything. Thank you so much for ending that way. That's beautiful. I'm more thankful every moment that I found. Thanks for listening to my Beacon Series conversation with Christine Arilo. If you'd like to experience her book, Overwhelmed and Over It, visit findthegood.news slash bookshop. If you found something of use in this conversation, consider visiting findthegood.news slash donate, where you can help me continue this good news mission from the Louisiana Gulf Coast. I thank you for pressing play and for syncing up with this good news beacon. 